0: So I got a call from uh, my son, Chuck this morning. He's the pastor at the First Baptist Church in Williamston, and he's also the music guy. He has a guitar. He does the, he's kind of like kind of like a one-man band. So he got up this morning and he got his guitar, and he was heading out the front door, and he reminded himself he didn't have time to s- shovel the snow and the steps are slippery, so do be careful, he thought. Do do be careful. Right after that, he slipped and fell down the steps, and he he threw his guitar out into the snow so it wouldn't get hurt. And uh, then he got up, and he dusted the snow off, and he picked up his guitar, and he thought, wow, man, that was, that was bad. And he walked over to the car, and he didn't realize that there was ice under the snow, and so he hit the ice and slid underneath of the van and dropped his guitar again. He said, by the time I got to the church, he said, my guitar was really out of tune. And I said, what did you say when you slipped and fell under the van? I'm not going to tell you that part. Because we leave the unflattering parts out of our stories. And how was your morning? Better than Chuck's, I hope. And glad you're here. Glad those of you that are watching online can join us online. Thank you, everybody here at Bethel. Bethel. That Thank you for music today. Thank you so much, team, for beautiful music and and, uh, leading us in worship. We're grateful for that. Thank you, team, back there, making it possible to stream this live and have all the words in place. I know you got up early and you uh, risked uh, driving in the snow because you wanted people to be able to uh, worship the Lord today, even if they were at home. And we're so grateful for you and thank God for you. Thank you for those of you that were out here. When I got here this morning doing a lot of other things, including additional snow shoveling, thank you for those of you who walked around the parking lot to see if Jacob had left his car running in the parking lot, which Jacob did on purpose. He, he is warming it up because he had to leave. Anyway, good to see you. And it's in, those of you that are present, were able to come, hearty Michiganders that you are, um, you get a special star in your crown today because you came on a snow day and you can feel a little proud and then repent of that later on or that. But anyway, super glad to have you. going to have a bit of a family talk. Can I tell you a little bit about my weekend? Do you mind? I'll be friends. So I got to preach six times this weekend. This is a good weekend for me. Um, cause, um, so I, I started out at the Christian school and gave a little talk. I called that preaching. I gave a little talk at the Christian school and they're the sweetest. My goodness, those kids sing so beautifully and they're just a great little audience there. Uh Joe Jackson, one of our elders, he's he presides over there at the Jackson Christian elementary school. I got up that morning and went to the high school, which is right down the road in the hut. I'm speaking at the elementary school. Maybe I should maybe I should go to the elementary school. So and I it was weird. So anyway, so I started that with. Then I drove up north and I preached to men at a place called Bambi Lake. The, the Southern Baptists in Michigan are just a great bunch of people, and they love the Lord and they're doing a good job in, in Michigan. And they have a camp called Bambi Lake, and I got to speak at Bambi Lake to a men's conference this weekend and four four talks. And so they they really and they were just a great bunch, and the food was good, and the fellowship was good, and the combinations were nice, and everybody was sweet. It was great. So Like all day yesterday, I just preached poured my heart out to tell the guys as many things as I could tell them from the Bible that would help them to walk with the Lord and help them to sin less and love God more and be better dads and husbands and grandpas and win people to Christ. And it got done late, late, late at night and the band went on and on. They came back after I got done preaching and they just played and played and they were just really, really playing, and did a great job, and it was getting really, really late, and I I got to look at the weather app. I was going to drive in this morning, and I thought, if I drive in this morning, I'll be driving in a snowstorm, so I need to drive in the night. And this elderly pastor, he followed me over to my Quarters and what he didn't know was I wasn't turning in, I was packing up and getting out of Dodge as fast as I could because I knew it'd be about two o'clock in the morning before I got home. And so he was just chatting me up, you know, he's he's me in 25 years, he was just telling all his pastor stories. And I was like, This is me in 25, that's actually me right now but anyway he was just telling me stories and 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 i was trying to think how am i going to tell him i need to leave right now and i can't talk anymore but he was really a precious man 87 my dad's age 87 and uh, really good good man and so i thought okay once i got everything all packed up i said to him hey well i'm i'm taking off can you pray for me it was almost like a little technique to get out of there. You know, hey, I'm packing up now, and I got to get on the road, and and it's gonna be about two o'clock when I get home in the morning. Can you pray for me? And then, then God just showed up right then, and this elderly pastor put his arm around me, and that prayer was a blessing to me. He just blessed me. It's embarrassing the stuff he said, it was just so sweet, and and I just like bask in that. I was like, wow, it is. I just, I don't know, he was super comfortable, but I just gave him a big hug and didn't let go for a while. And I thought, wow, that was a blessing. And then I got in my car and I prayed as I drove through the forest in the snow. And it was just really a beautiful, quiet drive home. And I drank two McDonald's iced coffees. That's, that's how I got here. I'm on drugs. I need to be honest about that. And, uh, and now I want to have a family talk with you, and here's what we're doing. We're, we're preaching through the book of 1 Peter, and we're calling it Finishing Faithful, because that's really what it's about, it's finishing faithful when you're suffering and when things aren't going well. And what a neat thing to have a book of the Bible written for this, and we've been studying through that book, how to finish faithful, and we are in chapter 5 of 1 Peter, and it's about... Elders, leaders in the church. Last week we called it good shepherds for bad times. And I just, all week long, I just was delighted to think about our shepherds here, our elders, and, and, and the good shepherds that they are, and that they pray for us, and, and that they watch over us, and that they care about us, and, and, uh, and they're exemplary. And, and there's a piece here that's important to family life, there's a piece here that's important to church life. There's a piece here that's just important to human living that I want to pull over and stop and have a family talk about. It's just something I want to add some additional um, material from the Scriptures based on this. I want to read the text that we just read, again, with, an, with a bit of emphasis. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder, a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as partaker of the glory that's going to be revealed. The shepherd the flock that's among you exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. And here's the key phrase that we're going to spring out of this and talk about this today. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And what I'd like to do is I want to talk, of course, you know, the elders can listen in, and I get to be one, so we we can kind of exhort ourselves on this. But can I broaden this a little bit to anybody that has any authority? You're a mom, your dad, your mom, your, your grandma, your grandfather, your, aunt, your uncle, you're a leader, your teacher, you, you have people that look to you. You want to influence them for God. And I want to talk today the, the talk today, the message today, the family talk I want to give is called "Influence versus control." I just want to talk a little bit like what the Bible talks about here. It says to the elders, "Don't control the flock." It's essentially what it's saying don't control the flock, tempting as it might be, influence them. I could say to a dad, don't let your emphasis be on control, let it be on influence. I could say to a lady, to a mom, don't try to control your husband, be a really good influence. Which would lead us naturally to the question sounds great how do you do that and, and we're going to talk about why would we do that and does the bible really teach that and how would i do that i want to want to talk about that a little bit today because i think it will add to the it will add to the already healthy healthiness of, of of the Bethel Church and and of us so there's something that comes up frequently in my pastoral work and more frequently in the deepest place in my heart and that is how do you influence those that you love to follow God especially those who are not following God how do you do that and the elder the text says that the elder shouldn't be dominating but but influencing it, it specifically uses the term Example, which doesn't, it sounds kind of benign. Oh, you're just an example. But the Bible is teaching us being an example is a powerful means of influence. And you might even be thinking, I think maybe many of you are thinking, I want my children and my grandchildren to know God, love God, follow God, find in God all that I've found in Him and more. You want that. But you realize you can't control that. So, you think, how can I influence? I want to talk about that. How do we influence those that we love to follow God and then to do what, make good decisions and, and what's right? How, this is what we're going to talk about just a bit here. Now, there's the controlling because controlling our behavior is, is tempting because it works so quickly and it initially looks really good and it's initially easier. And so, we tend to emphasize control sometimes over influencing the heart which is a little bit more difficult and harder to understand and takes grace and art why when you try to lead you find that sometimes people resist you you can lead your why is it like I, when I first got married I used to think you know I'm a, I'm a preacher so when I need when, when I need to teach Lois something I'll just why are you laughing I'll just sit her down and I'll read Bible verses to her and explain them that went really great. I <laughs> you laughing. I really thought that was like, well, you know, she's a reasonable person. I'll just, and I'm, you know, I'll just explain a Bible to her. I would cherry pick the parts of the Bible that I explained. You know, the parts. You probably could guess which ones. Here's what the Bible says, you know. I could go there, and you probably want me to, but I'm not going to do that. I'm not falling into that trap. I'm not going down that rabbit hole today but I'm, I'm tempted, but then I realized that's not maybe all that effective. Even your kids, you know, you can, I drag my kids around me to the campus, say the same thing to hundreds of kids over and over. Here's all this stuff that I said to them, and I just, you know, they got it. I can see the notebooks they left behind when they moved away had all the notes in them of all the things that I said, you know, that they should do. This is not an easy thing to do, to influence people to do good it's super easy to influence people to do bad that just comes pretty naturally but to influence people to do good to follow god that's pretty challenging. You know, when they're little, you can say, we're going to have popsicles at 7 o'clock for all the good children. All the good children get popsicles at 7 o'clock. And then after a while, the children grow up and they figured out how to buy popsicles on their own. They can have as many popsicles as they want whenever they want them. They can also have weed and drink. They can do whatever they want to do. They can go over, sometime you're, I hate to bring it up, you're going to be dead and they're going to do exactly what they want to do. And you won't have any control at all over it. Don't mean to disappoint you, but that's what's what, gonna happen. How would a person be in a position where they would have influence even if they weren't present, even if they weren't alive anymore? Now, that would be something, wouldn't it? For the purposes of the message today, then, I'm going to call control using force or physical restraint or anger or emotional manipulation or financial manipulation or physical manipulation to achieve outward compliance to demands or to what I think is right. That's what I mean in this message when I talk about control. That's what I'm talking about. And when I use the term influence, that's when I use a godly means to inspire someone to obey God from the heart. By influence, I mean moving someone to obedience to God from the heart, getting him in the path of God influencing them. How could a man like Joshua say, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord? How could he say, I've always wondered, how could he say something like that? Wouldn't you love to be able to say, As for me and my house, this is what we'll do. We're all going to follow God. Genesis 18 says this about Abraham. You remember this passage? The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm doing? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed in him. For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what's spoken to him. How could the Bible say that about Abraham? an imperfect man. That his generations after him, that there would be generations after him that would follow God. I want to influence generations after me to follow God. How does that work? Now, uh, I want to show you today that the Scriptures teach influence from the heart and, and not just our control. Matthew uh, 6 and verse 1 says, take heed to, that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. A theme in the New Testament, the teaching of Jesus and the apostles is we're not just trying to get what looks good on the outside. This is a theme in the New Testament. This was a the theme of Jesus' teaching. He would always go toe-to-toe with the Pharisees. We don't just want outward compliance. We don't just want to look good. We want, it's the hidden man of the heart that we're aiming at. That's what he said in Matthew 6, 1. Take heed, you don't do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. There's a temptation to do that. Or, or John 12, 43. They, they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. Or John 5, How can you believe... By the way, the notes are not online. It just hit me, but they will be later. So be encouraged. Um, John 5, How can you believe who receive honor from one another... But don't seek the honor that comes only from God. You don't just want to line up people to behave the way they look good on the outside or force them or manipulate them or write them into or out of the will or whatever you have to do to get that compliance. This is not the goal of the apostles. This wasn't their goal in influencing people. That This wasn't Jesus' goal in influencing people. It was not just the outward appearance. Luke sixteen five, he says to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. You see the theme here in the Bible? God's looking at the heart. What is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. 1 Peter 3, and we just studied 3 and 4. Don't let your adornment be, this is to women, be merely outward, arranging of the hair, wearing of gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart. That's really beautiful, isn't it? The the hidden person of the heart. For men and women, that would be true. With the incorruptible beauty of a gentle, quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. We We don't want to emphasize what we look like to people. We want to emphasize what we look like to God. Not outward compliance and control, but inward influence upward to God. This is what the scriptures teach. In 2 Corinthians 5, 12, we don't commend ourselves again to you, but give opportunity to boast on your behalf that you may answer those who boast in appearance and not in the heart. There are always going to be those who are like fixated on appearance rather than what's the reality of the heart. You see, this is the theme that I've gone through the scriptures and shown you. Influence is more powerful than control. That's why... You know, over and over again in the Proverbs, it says, My son, give me your heart. Let your eyes observe my ways. I'm going to be an example for you to follow. Not, I'm bigger than you are. You will do what I say. As long as your feet are under my table. As long as you're eating food under my house. Right. Kids are really creative. They'll figure out someplace else to eat. Or someplace else to live. Influence is more powerful than control. If you want to have a lasting and genuine spiritual influence on someone and you want them not to resent you and not to resent the Lord, if you want to to influence them without manipulation, control, or anger, Uh, you want to concentrate on influencing the heart, not controlling the outward appearance. My boys, they, you know, we're kind of learning this while the kids were growing up. And the kids are good, good to us about it. The, 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 you know, there's eight of them. So there's like, you know, it took like 20 years to, to, to raise them all. And, and, and the oldest ones, you know, we, we made them look like, well, let me, let me put it this way. My son, Kyle, who's a pastor in Grand Rapids, and he has a man bun and tattoos, that one. He, he said to me, um... He said to me real jo- 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 kindly one day, yeah, I, I wasn't allowed to comb my hair the way I wanted to until I got married. And I was like, well, I told Elizabeth how to have you comb your hair. Didn't she tell you? <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> then they, they looked like they stepped off the cover of the Bob Jones University catalog. You know, they, that's how they looked. And then, and then by the time Wesley came along, the youngest one, his hair was down to his waist. And we're like, look, just I um, want you to love Jesus. I don't care what your hair looks like or if you have hair and just want you to love Jesus. You know, moving to influence over control, the pictures looked different. They weren't as impressive. They weren't, you could actually just see it in the pictures. It's really interesting. But, but as we, I think as we get into the heart of God and the heart of the Bible, and when you study the New Testament and we see passages like this, we see this is the priority. that, that we, And you probably, you knew this. I'm repeating something I know you know, but I want to I, I embed this even deeper in the heart of our church and to maybe help you in your life where, where you're wanting to see other people follow the Lord. How does that work? Well, it's, it's a, the power of biblical influence, not just control. So biblical examples of this, pastors and spiritual leaders in the Bible, obviously, like here in 1 Peter, should emphasize influencing the heart over controlling behavior. They, pastors aren't told, shepherds aren't told, elders aren't told to, to create a system of manipulation that, that, that gets people to behave in certain ways outwardly. That's not the tenor of the teaching of the New Testament for the elder. It's prayer. It's the means of grace. It's love. It's being an example. That those are the things that God uses to help in spiritual leadership over time. So pastors and spiritual leaders should emphasize influencing the heart over controlling behavior. Peter knew this, first Peter five. This is the passage we're studying now. Paul also taught this. Listen to Second Corinthians four. Therefore, this is 2 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have this ministry and we receive mercy, we don't lose heart, but we've renounced the hidden things of shame. We don't walk in craftiness, so we don't handle the word of God deceitfully. But by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God... That's how an apostle influences without manipulation. That's how a pastor or a Sunday school teacher or a dad or a mom or a person trying to disciple somebody else best influences somebody else. Is committing themselves to everyone's conscience and the sight of God. I appeal to your conscience. I teach the word of God. I lay it on the table. I walk away. And a spirit does his work in a person. And you can't undo the work of the spirit. That's powerful. Paul taught that. Paul taught it again in uh, 1 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 12. And for extra credit, you can study that and look at the tender terms of endearment that Paul used in that passage in 1 Thessalonians to talk about how he tenderly cherished the people to move them Godward. It's beautiful. He uses the warmest language. In Mark in chapter 7, verses 1 through 23, this is also in Matthew 23, Jesus passionately taught that true spiritual leaders aim for influence on the heart, not outward control. He had strong words in Matthew 23. In Mark 7, he had strong words for those that created religious systems of manipulation. He had strong words. It looks good. Everybody saw, I heard a Christian leader told me one time, what I decided to do, he said, was I decided to get kids to dress the way their parents would want them to dress. Get the girls to cut their hair the way the dads would want the girls to cut their hair. Get the girls to wear dresses like the dads would want them to wear. Get the boys to be, you know, clean cut like the dads would want, shave and, and, and short hair and all that. And then the pa- dads would, ha- would say to me, how would I get kids like that? And then I would tell them a series of things they have to do. And then he added to the scriptures things that you have to do to get kids to look like that. That was not good. That was a house of cards. That didn't end well. It looked good for a while, though. It looked great for a while. The pictures were really cool. But they weren't, they didn't reflect what was really happening. It was a train wreck. It really really was. And so there's a warning. That's why I was preaching through Matthew once. It took me three and a half years to preach through Matthew um, Sunday morning at a time. And I was surprised by what I discovered when I was preaching through Matthew. And, And when I was comparing it to the epistles. And that's this, and you may have heard me say this before there's a warning against legalism, externalism, religious control on almost every page of the New Testament. It isn't, it isn't something that's a minor thing. Jesus is always taking aim at the Pharisees who have a religious system of outward control going, he's always taking aim at them. And then the epistles is one thing after another Jewish legalism or. Uh, uh, different uh, cults, isms. They were usually had legalistic elements, Jewish legalism, uh, Jewish ceremonialism. All through the epistles are taking, and almost all of them are taking, almost every page of the New Testament warns against these kinds of religious systems that are pressed on somebody from the outside because the religion of the heart is a religion of the heart that comes from the work of the Holy Spirit. And we use the means of grace to stimulate that and to influence people in that. I don't want to overstate this, but the Scriptures, is just all over the Scriptures. So we could ask ourselves questions like this. We could say, are we more vigilant about outward behavior of others than we are about our own inner condition? That would be a good question. Do I care more, am I, am I bothered more about my inner condition or the outward appearance of other people? Or am I more irritated by the weakness and failure of others than I am broken over my own sin? Or as a leader, is our emphasis on controlling behavior or on influencing the heart? I, I went to, to run this Christian ministry, or I was assigned to help run this Christian ministry, and, and when I got there, I noticed that there were just signs everywhere. And it, my, Lois knows this really well about me. And we were, I don't know how we got on this morbid subject, but we were talking about if I died before she did, which was really fun to talk about. And she said, I'm going to put up a sign that says, Ken hates signs. (laughs) Like, you so know me. That's so true. I like signs like there's that way to the chili. I like signs like that. Show me where the chili is. Thank you for that. If there are occasions when I want to know where the men's room is. I'm good right now, but if I, if I like, if you give me a sign, I want to know. But, like, you know the signs that say, you know, like, if you use this, put it away? Those always kind of irritate me. They make me want to leave things out, you know. But anyway, when I got to this place, I could tell that the lady that was working really, really hard to try to keep everything under control was having trouble keeping it under control. So she just had signs all over the 16-story hotel and signs everywhere. And my intuition was the first thing I did was I said, I got all the staff together, and I said, let's go through now, and let's just right now, let's just take down all the signs for now. Let's take them all down except there's the men's room, there's the restaurant. Let's just take all the signs down. And let's substitute conversations with people. Let's tell them why we want what we want. And let's appeal to them and try to get them on board with that. And let's do the heavy lifting of just kind of agreeing together what we're going to do instead of just slapping people's hands with signs all the time. And a guy came to help us. And he was a super gifted guy. He was a very, very gifted man in chillers and boilers and stuff I didn't even understand. And so we kind of needed him. But he didn't kind of get the idea. He, everything he did was kind of like, well, let me give you an example. There were little boys that lived in the, in the building. A couple of them were mine. The little boys, Dan and Wes. A couple of them were pastor shoemakers' boys, woody's shoemakers' boys, three of them sweet little boys. The boy, you know what boys do? Sometimes boys leave their toys out. I don't know if your boys did that, sometimes they leave their bike where their bike doesn't belong. Now, what I think what you should do is you should tell a boy hey, son, I'm going to have to ask you to put your bike away. And if you don't, here's what's going to happen. You know, you're not going to be able to have your bike for a week or we're not going to feed you for a month or whatever it was necessary, you know, to get them to put their bike away. I'm kidding. Um, but I would, admit, I would initially just appeal to them, hey, no, we want you to be neat put your bike. But not Mr. Horst. You know what he would do? He would hide their bike. He would just put it somewhere in the bowels of the building where nobody would ever find it like you know, Al Capone's bones or something like that. Where's the bike? Nobody knows. And, and the kids are like, I can't find my bike. And if he got around to it 10 days later, he'd say, well, maybe you should go down and look in the back of the furnace room and don't leave it out in front of the door anymore. or You may never find it next time. And I would like, Mr. Horst, can we talk? I want to influence him really bad. I actually want to influence him to go away, but uh, I, didn't, I didn't do that. This is... I'll tell you how that story ended just because you're curious. Um, I thought, that's not really the program here. I would rather that he would, I think I said his name. I shouldn't have done that. I'm, I, I goofed. Anyway, did I say his name? I did. That was not good. Anyway, I said to him, hey, I said, so now you've seen me sin publicly. Um, but I said to him, hey, look, here's what, we don't want to do it that way. We, we want to befriend those little boys, and, and we want to talk to them, and and you know, you let me know, I'll help, but let's not, let's not manipulate, let's not hide their stuff, and he's like, I don't agree, you're soft, I'm like, yeah, I'm, no, I'm soft, but I still, that's what I want to do, and he's like, I don't like that, and so he, I thought, well, you know, one day we had a big flood, and the whole thing, we, we had the flood, we had a A water supply break on the fifth floor, and it leaked all the way down over the mezzanine at about five o'clock in the morning. Nobody, just a terrible flood. It was going to be an enormous amount of work. He quit that day. (laughs) I was like, oh, that wasn't good. Here's what I'm getting at, and that is this is a better way than manipulating people into the behaviors that you want. That's what the New Testament is teaching. It repeatedly teaches that. It's true for moms and dads. Ephesians 6, 4, you fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath. Bring them up in training and admonition of the Lord. Without anger, it's his teaching. James 1, 20, the wrath of God doesn't produce the righteousness of God. You can't manipulate people into holiness. Uh, Ephesians 5, 26 and 27, that he might sanctify her. This is uh, how a husband might influence his wife. He might sanctify her, cleanse her by the washing of the water, by the word that he might present her. To himself, a glorious church, not having spot, wrinkle, or any such thing, but holy and without blemish. How does that actually work? You sit. You don't sit down, and you you don't you don't badger women with your Bible teaching. You show them what it looks like to follow God. You you love them. You are an influence. You you have you you instruct yourself. That's what Jesus did in Matthew. Or sorry, I'm sorry. In John 17, if you're kind of looking for a corollary, one what does it mean washing of the water by the word? It was kind of a mysterious, enigmatic thing in Ephesians. How does a man wash his wife in the water of the word? I used to think as a young man, that was like, sit down and have family devotions and read a lot of the Bible to her. And that wasn't, I don't really think, that's a fine thing to do, but within reason. But, but I don't think that's what the New Testament was teaching there. And, it, and you look in the life of Jesus, how did he do it? John 17 says, 17 and 19, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by truth. Jesus said that. That's is interesting, isn't it? So here's what it looks like, I think. If I want to influence Lois for good and be a good influence on her and be a help to her and be an encouragement to her, I get up in the morning and I have a little light that won't wake her up if she's sleeping in and I read my Bible and I pray and I try to walk with God and I wash myself in the water of the Word and I hope that there's the glow of me being in the presence of God that kind of leaks out through the day in my the way that I live with her, and over the years, I'm a good influence for her. I'm a help to her, and she's a good influence for me. Yeah, I'm not real mechanical. I've probably mentioned that before, or not. But I do know a couple things. For instance, right is tight and left is loose. Can I get it? I know that. Right is tight, left is loose. Unless it's like you're laying on the ground back. Upside down, and then you have to think I'm on the back side of this, so it's the other way around. You know, you have that part, but mostly it's right is tight, left is loose. I know that. Or if you want to not cross thread the cap or not cross thread the plug, turn it counterclockwise until it clicks. You guys know that one. I figured that out was about. 60, you know, and then, then turn it in and it won't cross thread and that will be good because then all the oil won't run down the driveway and you won't have to ride your bike to get more. You know, I learned that. That's good. Also, no, don't force it. Have you learned that one? You got the tool and you're like, I'm going to make this thing work. That's always a bad idea. Forcing it is never, if you're forcing it, you're probably going to skin your knuckles or worse. And you might be tempted to say something Nice Christian feller shouldn't say. And so it is with influence on in others. If you're forcing it, this is all, you know, this is kind of repeating the same thing. And so, you know, wives should choose influence over control. As the scriptures say in First Peter, that the husband will be one without a word. Let me give you a little quick thing. I'm about done. Hey, this is why I've observed these things. Let's control control. Let's compare. Controlling behavior and influencing the heart, okay? Controlling behavior looks good outwardly. Influencing the heart may not immediately look good. Controlling behavior is temporary. Influencing the heart is more lasting. Controlling behavior usually requires our presence, holding people accountable. It's kind of cute. Lois has a little of this in her she says to me when she leaves, she puts the chicken in the crock pot the other day and she calls me and she says, are you still home? And I'm like, yeah. She goes, can you do something for me? And I'm like, yeah. And she says, I need you to go down and make sure that the pieces of chicken are separated in the crock pot. I go, okay, I'll do that. And then she says this because she has that little, you know, thing. Call me when you do that. <laughs> <laughs> Call me when you do that. It always makes me laugh. I'm like, yes, ma'am. So I did, three o'clock, I called her. I said, Oh, by the way, yeah, anyway. Um, so they, you know, the, the control is like you, you gotta hold them accountable. You gotta check on them. You gotta have, we, gotta, we got you on video. on the, like, After a while, the kids might live in New Mexico or Oregon. They're gonna be in a different time zone. They're gonna drink exactly what they wanna drink, hang out with who they wanna hang out with. And you won't be able to have any control over it. You guys know that so that's a controlling behavior requires torque or leverage or the threat of removing food or shelter or something but but if but influencing requires weight of character convicting power of truth appeal to conscience controlling behavior causes resentment often but influence the heart causes respect i remember one christian leader if i named these christian leaders you know both of them one of them people respect him. They look up to him. They follow him. Young people think a lot of him. He's with the Lord now. And the other one, they resent him and write bad things on the internet about him. But the guys believed pretty much the same thing, but this guy didn't manipulate people into doing stuff, and this guy did. So there's like public resentment that you can read all over the internet, which was because he was forcing compliance on things. This other guy He was a joyful guy who loved people. I'm talking about Jerry Fallow, the good guy. He just loved young people. He loved people down at Liberty. He loved kids. They knew he loved them. He was a fundamental guy, but he really loved the students, and he had a big heart, and they adored him, and the day that he died, they, they lined up to mourn. But other Christian leaders, it's like not that way. And I think maybe this is one of the reasons. Um, Sometimes controlling behavior is about pleasing you and influencing is about pleasing God. And controlling behavior, it, it creates an illusion of godliness, but it fosters hypocrisy. But influencing the heart creates an atmosphere of genuine spiritual transformation and so spiritual influence by this means of grace is often powerfully indirect it's like you lay it on the table and you walk away and the spirit has to do what the spirit does ephesians uh, philippians 2 4 says, let each of you look not only for his own interest but also the interest of others and here's what i've found when i'm tempted to control something it's often because i have my interest at heart And not really God's interest at heart. I don't want somebody to embarrass me. I want to end up looking good here. And it's not like I really want them to know and love God and follow God. And so, a little recap of this controlling behavior works fast, but it can't last. Controlling behavior gets results, but it makes people resent you. Controlling behavior looks immediately impressive, but it will eventually leave you looking bad. Controlling behavior is often sinful. legislation of behavior is not our goal. Jesus had some very hard things to say about that. I mentioned that. The measure of spirituality is not outward conformity, but inward love, inward holiness, fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, etc. And the nature of justification demands influence over control. Nobody gets saved because they were forced to get saved. And the nature of sanctification demands influence over control. And this brings me to six final things that I'll go through really fast that are super important. And we'll cover them slower later. But this won't take me long, but it's super important. Because a lot of you are sitting here right now and you're thinking, there are people that I love that they need to follow God, but they're not following God. How can I get them to follow God? I want to suggest six things. One, right any past wrongs with them. You know, the Bible teaches that. If you did anything wrong, make it right. Right past wrong. You take care of your wrongdoing and have a clear conscience. Be careful that you're not manipulating behavior or compliance or being outwardly controlling, but you're an example in your heart. And you're asking the Lord to show you if there's any offense or harm or unkind words or actions or attitudes, any way that you've sinned against them, harmed them, hurt them, not made it Right? Ask them if there's ever anything that you've said or done that you've not said or neglected to do that's been harmful or hurtful to them and take care of that business. Pray and seek the Lord and seek forgiveness for any wrong and be serious about that. That'd be number one. Number two, be a consistent godly example. This is huge. What the Bible says, this is the text. Don't lord it over the flock. Be an example. Must be important. You say, well, my... My child isn't doing what they ought to do, but if they look at me, they'll see the way a person should live, loving God, following God, serving God, being an example. As I like to say, as long as my heart is beating, then you will know that God helping me, I'm following God, and I love you. So be a consistent example. And number three, so right past wrongs, be an example three, pray for them continually, continually pray. The scriptures talk about the power of prayer, but we don't appreciate how powerful it is. Trust it like we ought to. We, we continually pray. That's the pray, love, invite in, in, in influencing lost people. So you have a child or a loved one or a nephew, niece, or friend that you really want to see them walk with God. You know they need to walk with God. Pray for them night and day. No, don't have to tell them like you're manipulating them. I'm fasting and praying for you. It's kind of like you're holding them hostage with God. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you actually are praying for them all the time. I like to think about that. There are eight people in this world, eight people in this world that will have my prayers. Every day of my life, they will always have my prayers, no matter where in the world they are, for their good. And I will never stop doing that. And it will always be on my lips and it will always be on my heart. Pray for them continually. Someone said this, you know, before you talk to men about God, talk to God about men. That's true. Bathe all you do in secret prayer. Pray in the night, pray in the day. Never cease to pray. Call out to God to do what no man can do. Pray for wisdom. Pray for others to say what needs to be said. Pray for God to bring others into their lives to tell them what they need to hear. Pray that they will have ears to hear. Pray that God will open their hearts. Pray that God will do what no man can do. Don't panic but pray. And don't gossip but pray. Don't talk about them. Talk to God about them. Don't talk to their siblings about them. Talk to God. That's number three. Number four, love them Creatively. You know, when, when somebody disappoints you and they're not doing what you want them to do or what they ought to do, there's, there's a te- temptation to be bitter against them. After all I have done for you, how could you do this, you know? And, and you, you could actually be resentful. You could actually be hurt with them. And you could actually alienate them. Don't do that. You love them. You keep loving them like God kept loving you when you weren't loving Him. Always love them. If somebody hurts you, keep loving them. If somebody hurts you, keep loving them. Genuinely love them. This is huge. Build strong, loving relationship with them. I like to think, I think it was in training, and you had the training in Youth for Christ. You remember the training up in Rockford? I remember they taught me at the training in Rockford. Oh, I've never forgotten this. They said, you probably remember this, when you, want to build, when you want to influence a kid, you need to build a relationship with them. They were big on that, weren't they? You need to build a relationship. And if you want to influence them in a big way, You need to build a strong relationship like a bridge. If you're going to carry a lot of heavy stuff across that bridge, it needs to be a really strong bridge. You build a strong bridge of love to that person. They may be far from God. They may be hurting you, but you just keep building a bridge of love to them because one day something valuable is going to cross that bridge. And so don't be hurt when they reject you or they reject the Lord. Keep loving them and keep being loving to them right past wrongs be a consistent godly example. Pray for them continually. Love them creatively. Know when to speak and when to not speak. The power of listening. Know when to be quiet. We'll talk about that more later. And be reasonable. Let your sweet reasonableness be known to all men, the Bible says. Be, have a reasonable biblical goals for them. The, the, uh, don't consider them wayward if they haven't bought into your exact brand of christian expression don't emphasize something minor and overlook something important be reasonable and so love them and listen to them and pray for them and be an example you heard the story i'm sure you did about the little boy that little boys in the christian school that were lined up and they were reciting the apostles creed you heard that right they they, they, you know, I believe in God the Father, and I believe in the Holy Spirit. Remember that? And, and one time a little boy was absent, and so as they were going through, there was a gap. And then one little kid says, the kid who believes in the Holy Spirit isn't here today. Probably never more important to believe in the Holy Spirit than when you know that he's the only one that can do what needs to happen. To happen. And so I want to encourage you that if the New Testament that we just read says it's powerful not to be domineering over those in our charge, but be examples to the flock, then it's powerful to be an example to the flock. Brother, come and pray. Ask God's blessing on us. I know this is your heart. And, and, uh, I know it's your heart too, Bethel people and Bethel elders. I, I feel it in the air here. May it always be that way, that this church has a powerful influence, come on up, a powerful influence on others, not just a manipulative control. And so we pray a blessing on you uh, today. Stand as we pray. Thank you,